0: Uh, welcome, good to have you all with us. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Um, Christmas, Advent uh, is definitely in full swing in the Forsyth house at For the moment. Our lights are up. we us almost finished, um, how, do you, how would you describe it, basting the cake? Soaking the cake, feeding the cake, the Christmas cake, special order from me. Uh, uh, Home Alone is kind of like the door that opens uh, just all of the Christmas festivities in our house and we watched that last weekend and so pretty much every night this week we've been enjoying uh, watching some Christmas films together. The Advent Calendar, I know there's some haters out there, haters going to hate the Advent Calendar, uh, calendar? Candle, is almost uh, at, its, at its end, just a few days left to burn away. And the smells of Christmas are filling our house. So we've got the Christmas cake going away and we've got um, satsumas, like just that, that sweet smell of orange, you know, that traditional English fruit that we all like to enjoy during Christmas and we'll happily sit down and eat two or three in a row. Uh, but just all of the, the, the smells and the sights are filling our home at the moment. And Christmas is a little bit like sensory overload, isn't it? Like it just affects all of our senses, our sight, our smell our touch, the things that, that we feel, and it is just a, a really immersive experience, and the ad, adverts, not adverts, adverts, that we're watching at the moment, maybe are filling our screens and the films that we're watching, they really tap into that, that kind of sensory experience, don't they, they want you to, to enter into the experience, um, I don't even know whether they still do, but do you remember the M&S advert around Christmas? And there'd just be like a, a table full of, um, you guys obviously connect with this, a table full <laughs> of wonderful M&S food. And in the middle, you've got this roast turkey, like somehow they take the most ugliest bird and manage to make it so beautiful. And you can just see the steam coming off it and you can almost smell it through the screen. Can't you? what's the strap line? This isn't just a turkey. This is an M&S. Taking and then the Christmas pudding, and it's just oozing out with chocolate. And they want you to enter into the experience, they want you to be immersed into the Christmas experience. And one of the tricks that the, uh, advertisers and filmmakers will use, particularly around this time of year, is this kind of first person technique. They want you to, to come into the advert, they want you to be there around the table. And if you think of some of the, the films that you enjoy or maybe some of the better adverts, one of the things they often do is bring you to a window. You know what I'm talking about? When you have this, this window in a house and it's all kind of decorated outside and, and they have you look inside the house and inside the house you see this perfect picture of Christmas. You know what I mean? The, the table's laid and the, the roast dinner's in the middle of the table and you've got the family who are just just enjoy themselves and the whole house is full of joy and you've got dad on the seat and the kids are clowning all over dad and, and mum's looking adoringly at dad and, and you're kind of stood looking at the window, they wanting to come in and peer in and enjoy and just get to experience what is going on beyond the window. And what we see in that scene, we see really what every human heart and every human Soul crates. In that picture of the, the perfect Christmas family, we see a picture of joy. Like they're happy. Everyone's bouncing around the room and there's there's a, a just a genuine just feeling of joy as you look through that window. And there's safety. the kids climbing on dad and just you know, there's no danger around in that picture. And you see peace. There's no one arguing. In that Christmas scene, everything's just tranquil and calm. And they really, folks, are three of the basic human cravings. They're things that all of us crave really deep down in our soul. We crave true and meaningful joy. We crave true and meaningful security. We crave true and meaningful peace. Every single one of us do, whether we're a Christian or not, that's what our soul longs for and our soul craves. And as we get to Revelation chapter 7, it's as if the Apostle John who writes this letter, it's as if he's bringing us to a window, a little bit like that Christmas Advent. And he wants us to peer in through the window. And he wants us to see a picture beyond the window. He wants us to look in and to see what he sees. And we're going to see as we read this together in a minute, what we see is a picture of True joy, true security, and true peace. Well, here's the difference. The picture that John sees isn't some sort of fairy tale hope. It's the hopeful reality for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. True hope, true security, and true peace. That's what we're going to see as John brings us to the window and has us peering. So let's read together. Revelation chapter seven, starting at verse nine. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. And one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, say, you know. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for such a beautiful picture. We thank you that this isn't just a sea and this isn't just a fairy tale. But this is our story. We thank you that right in the centre of it all is you and your son and your spirit. And so now as we just take the next few moments, just incline our hearts, just draw our gaze towards your son. Help us to see him for who he is. Help us to believe that he is who he says he is. Help us to see that he is the one who has come to make peace and give peace. And I pray that we would know it, we would feel it, we would be convinced of it, and we would be filled with that peace this afternoon. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that these are your words to us, your church. And so encourage us, we pray. We believe that these words are living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we ask that you would change us, change us to be more like you. And we ask this for your glory and in your name. Amen. Amen. The Apostle John who writes Revelation. Has anyone read it all the way through? Anyone? Tony's been in it a little bit recently. But you'll know a little bit about what's going on in this book. And John writes it fundamentally to encourage people who are struggling. That's his purpose. His purpose is to give God's people hope now as we struggle to live in between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. So if you know the gospel, if you know the story of the Bible, you know that Jesus has come. That's what we're celebrating at this time of the year, isn't it? He comes and he, he's born into this world. He puts on human flesh. He came and lived amongst us. He really did 2,000 years ago. He lived the perfect life. He died the death for guilty sinners so that we wouldn't have to suffer the judgment of God. And then three days later, he rose again from the death. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's ascended on high. He's been glorified. He came once. The Bible tells us he is coming again. Jesus will come again one day. And all of the brokenness that we contend against now, the brokenness that we experience in the world, And the brokenness that we experience in our own lives as we continue to contend against sin. As we continue to suffer with with just the the brokenness of being human. When Jesus returns and, and he comes again, all of that for God's people will be made new. He will bring us into a new creation. He will give us new resurrected bodies. And we will rule and reign with him for all eternity. He is coming again. He's come once And he's coming again. But the reality is that we live in this this liminal space in between, don't we? We live in this space between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And the reality is, and we're lies if we say that it's not, it is hard. It is hard. Even as Christians, maybe even more so. It is hard to live in between the first coming and the second coming because of the brutality of being human. And so our hearts long for him to come again. But yet we find ourselves waiting. Waiting. That's what Advent is all about. Training us again to sit in the waiting. And we wait for him to return. But God in his mercy and his grace has given us books, letters like Revelation to give us hope now. That is why Revelation was written. It was written that the message of the book is that there is hope for God's people in the midst of their struggle. And you might have read Revelation 4 and you might think, well, it's all about the end times. It's all about numbers and beasts and lots of interesting things. No, the crux of the message is there is hope for God's people in the midst of their struggle. And the hope that we find in the book of Revelation is a hope that is found as we cast our gaze forward, as we look to what is coming. So uh, two weeks ago when we started our Advent series, we looked at the hope that's found as we look back. As we look back and we see the promises of God given to his people over thousands of years, we can see that he is faithful. We see that he has kept all of those promises, that all of those promises find their yes and they're amen. In Christ Jesus, we find hope as we look back. Last week, Mark just wonderfully walked us through the hope that we find now in the coming of Christ Jesus, light that comes into the darkness. And Jesus is ruling and reigning right now as the light of the world. And so there is hope for God's people now. So there is hope when we look back. There is hope now. But then we also find hope as we look forward to see what is coming. There is a sure and certain reality for God's people, folks. We've read what it looks like here. But we also get to enjoy so much of that future now as we wait. Let's just remind ourselves what John sees as he brings us to the window and we peer in. He sees a crowd, too big to number. And that crowd is full of individuals from every corner of the world. And these people are standing before the throne of God, the throne of the Father, which is central to this picture as he looks through this window. They're standing before the throne of the Father in the presence of the Lamb. The lamb is the son of God, the lamb who was slain, risen again, victorious, ascended on high. And all of these people, this multitude of people are standing in this gathering and they're worshipping God. And they have these palm leaves, which is a strange scene for us. But when John's writing, and palm leaves were a sign of victory, It was something that you would come out as a king, celebrate the victory. You would wave palm leaves. It's a scene of joy, true and real joy. It's a scene of of security and safety. You see God's people just in his presence, safe and secure and at peace. And you see God's people and, and how are they dressed? They're clothed in robes of white. John sees God's people in the presence of the Father and the Lamb of God And they're welcome. They're welcome in his presence. You don't get any sense of fear there as we read that, do you? You don't get any sense of reluctance within God's people, like that they're scared to approach the throne. No, they are all wrapped around the throne and they are welcome in the presence of God. When I was growing up, um, so both of my parents, mum and dad, were immigrants, so we, we haven't got any close family who live nearby. Grandparents live uh, thousands of miles away. So Christmas was always a little bit um, different for us. We'd invite people to come and celebrate Christmas Day with us. And uh, it'd usually be people who lived on their own. Uh, A few elderly people would come and spend Christmas Day with us. And I remember just being quite young and and quite selfish as you are when you're young and thinking, this is our day. Like, this is a family day for us. Like, why are these people coming and and, and encroaching on our in our space and it was the full day like they'd be there for the full hit like breakfast until we'd go to bed they'd probably be there while we were off in bed going upstairs but as i got old i really began to enjoy it and began to see what a gift it was to these people There was one elderly lady who used to come and we used to treat her like a grandmother because we we'd see her so often and she was so kind and generous to us and her family actually lived on the road she would come to us for Christmas. She just loved my parents and, and just had such a tight bond with us. And she'd come and, and mum would set out the table with place names for everyone. Six names for all the Forsyth family. And then there'd be a name for Betty and, and a name for Colin. And they'd come in and they just, they just blend in. And as I got older, it just became normal. And just as a side folks, that is gospel community. Like, it should be normal that we do things like that, that we open our homes and people feel comfortable just coming in and feeling part of the family. And they did. Colin, who was, um, he used to live on his own. He used to come every Christmas. And he just, we just got used to him being there. He'd just make himself so at home after the meal. He'd undo a few notches on his belt. He'd go in the front room. He'd put the Queen's speech on. He'd watch it. He'd fall asleep. He'd snore away. And at the end of the night, Dad would take him home. And he just felt so comfortable. They felt like it was their home and they wanted to be there because they were truly welcome. And as we look at this picture in Revelation 7 and we stand at the window and we peer in, we see God's people who are so welcome. They're home and they feel welcome. And we might think, well, what's so hopeful about that? What's so hopeful, especially at this time of year? What's so hopeful in seeing this this vision that John has in standing with him at the window and seeing that God's people are in his presence and they're welcome? What's so hopeful about that? Well, the window that we look through in chapter seven, it is a a beautiful scene. It's a light scene. It's a warm scene. But the chapter before in Revelation chapter six, John brings us to another window. In chapter six, he sees God's judgment coming for unrepentant sinners. The verse will come up on the screen here. This is what he sees in chapter six, verse 15. He sees fear-filled sinners and they call out to the mountains and the rocks. And this is what they say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? And the answer to their question Theres no one. Unrepentant sinners cannot come into the presence of a holy God without judgment. It's interesting, isn't it? Chapter seven and chapter six, you get almost the same scene, the throne. The father is there, seated on the throne. the lamb is there with the Father. And you have people come into the throne with two very different experiences. And what makes? The experience in chapter seven, so warm and so rich. What makes it so different? What makes it so that the people of God are welcome in the presence of God? What what's the difference? We'll look down at verse 14 of chapter 7. The difference is that God's people have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's the difference. God's people have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of Lamb. The people that John sees as he looks through that window in Revelation chapter 7, they have been purified. What color are their robes? White. They are dressed in robes that have been made white from the blood of Jesus. They've been cleansed of their sin. All of it. Purged of all of their sin. And they aren't made white, they aren't purified, they aren't cleansed by being good people. They aren't cleansed by doing good things. The agent of change that makes them pure, that has them being dressed in robes of white, is the blood of the Lamb. And it's an interesting picture, isn't it? You wouldn't think that kind of dipping garments in blood would make them white. Like You wouldn't naturally think that something becomes clean by washing it in blood. But the shed blood of Jesus on the cross brings about a cleansing that reaches right into our soul. Listen to this from Isaiah uh, chapter 1 verse 18. It's on the screen again. Though your sins are like scarlet. That is the richest, deepest of red. Though your sins are like scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. Beautiful Christmas verse right there. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. These people have been cleansed. They have been purged of their sin, all of it. And so now they are welcome in the presence of a holy God. Mm -hmm. Folks, you know what one of the biggest thieves of hope is? It's the mirror. You might think, what's he talking about? When we look in the mirror, we see who we truly are. Like beyond the exterior. Obviously, we see who we are, but we see who we really are. Like we can do good things, folks. And people can see us do good things. And they can pat us on the back and think, wow, what a great guy. What a great girl. She's so good. But when we look in the mirror, we see who we truly are. And we know that in the darkest recesses of our heart, there are sins that we wish no one would ever find out about. And so often when we look in that mirror and we see the reality of of who Neil is, of who Elizabeth is, of who Andy is, when we see the reality of how dark some of our moments are, of how messed up we can be, of how quickly we can run to sin. When we see who we truly are, so often we can be convinced, God doesn't want anything to do with me. Like I would never be amongst those people. I would never be able to wear those white robes because if God truly knew who I was, if he truly knew what I had done, if he truly knew the depths of my heart, he wouldn't welcome me into his presence. Well, newsflash, folks, he does know you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he says, you're welcome. Not based on what you've done. Not based on people's opinion of yourself. What is the agent of change that makes us white? The shed blood of his son. The blood of Jesus makes us welcome in the presence of God. John sees a people who feel truly welcome as they look through this window. And folks, that is you and I, the people that he sees in this scene. This is God's people. This is you and I if we have put our faith in Jesus. This is a people for whom a way has been made for us to be welcome in the presence of a holy God. And John is looking to a physical reality. He's looking at a time to come when Jesus returns and brings his people into the presence of God for all eternity. He's looking forward to that day. But there is also so much of this physical reality that is true for us now. There are true spiritual realities embedded in John's picture that we get to enjoy now. Listen to this from Hebrews uh, chapter 4 verse 6. It's on the screen again. The writer of the Hebrew says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. The writer of the Hebrew says that we don't need to wait for some future day in order to enjoy the hospitality of God. Like we will enjoy it in all of its richness one day, but we don't need to wait until then to enjoy it now. We can draw into the presence of God right now without fear full of assurance, full of confidence, ready to receive all of the mercy and all of the grace that we need in a time of need. How is that possible? Well, because we're present with God by the power of the Spirit. God's people are filled with his Spirit and God's Spirit is in the presence of the Father. And so where he is, so are we. Practically, folks, we come into the presence of God in prayer We come into the presence of God when we meditate on God's word. We come into the presence of God when we worship like this. When we come together as God's people and worship him together as God's people, we are drawn into his presence through prayer, through the word, through corporate worship coming together. And Christian, when you do, when you come into the presence, know that you are welcome. Just like our two friends who would come for Christmas dinner every year. As you come into the presence of God, folks, there's no imposter syndrome. Now you have a a seat at the table. Mm. There is a seat there with your name on it, prepared for you. You're welcome in the presence of God. You're meant to be there and God loves that you are there. Amongst the busyness and all of the experience of Christmas this next week, can I suggest that there is no sweeter place that you can be and in the presence of God. So find a moment over the next week or two, find a moment just to draw near to his throne in prayer. Find a moment to come into his presence as you listen to his voice and his word. And look forward to this. We're not meeting next Sunday. I wish we were. We're not meeting for another two weeks. And allow your heart to pine for the 1st of January when we meet again because what's going to happen on the 1st of January you are going to come into the presence of God isn't that a wonderful thing like let's enjoy it now like we get to enjoy it now this afternoon but allow your heart to pine for the 1st of January when you come together as God's people and in a sweet mysterious special way you get to enjoy the presence of God and know that you are welcome draw near in prayer draw near as you listen to his voice and his word and draw near as we come together as God's people in worship. And when we do, when we come into the presence of God by faith in Jesus, we will find those things that we crave so much as humans. We will find true joy. We will find true safety. We'll find true peace. That's what we see in this window. As John brings us this window in Revelation 7. That's what we see. True joy, true safety, and true peace. Let me just just rattle through quickly. There is true joy in the presence of God. Like we see that in that picture. Like there's no doubt these people are filled with joy, right? You see it. You see them just celebrating and praising and worshiping God. There is true joy as God's people come into his presence. And joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness ebbs and flows, it comes and goes. Like we're all going to experience that in a few days time as we receive a present and we we love it for a few minutes or a few hours or maybe even a few days. But then soon enough, the happiness wanes and we get back to just normal. That's not joy. Joy is that constant stream that flows in our hearts that is unaffected by life circumstances. You see this picture as they're waving palm branches, this sign of victory as they're celebrating, as they're singing. It's a joyful people that we see in this window. And folks, we should know that where we place our hope, that's directly connected to where our joy is. Where we have placed our hope, we will see that that is directly connected to how joy-filled we are. And what is their attention drawn to in Revelation 7? Where are they looking? Who are they looking to? All their attention is focused on the lamb and the throne. The welcoming throne of the father, the resurrected lamb of God. See how central Jesus is to this picture. And so he is so central to our joy. There is true joy for us folks when in the midst of our circumstances, we fix our eyes on the risen Lord Jesus and we put our hope in all that he has done for us in his life and death. There's true joy in the presence of God. Next, there's true safety in the presence of God. Just look down at verse 50 and sixteen again. See this beautiful picture of shelter and protection and provision. The Father is sheltering his people with his presence. He is feeding them. He is watering them. He is removing danger from their path. It's a picture of safety in the presence of God. And we all long for that. We long for for not having to fear gaining the approval of others. We long for for not having to second guess what people are thinking about how we act or how we speak. We long for living in a way that isn't filled with fear. Braxley is a place of safety. (coughs) and Folks, that is what we were created for. To be safe with God. And Jesus has made a way for us to be there. And just like with joy, where we place our hope is directly connected to our safety. So see in verse 15 again, see how central the throne of God is to the security and the safety of God's people. Their, their attention, their direction is all towards God. So when fear and darkness lurk this season, folks, run into the presence of God and ground your hope in Jesus. There is true joy in the presence of God, true safety. And lastly, there is true peace in the presence of God. One of the great promises of Advent is that a child will come and he will be the Prince of Peace. The promised Prince of Peace for God's people. The one who makes peace both between us and God and the one who brings peace to God's people. And we see the Prince of Peace here in verse 17, mission accomplished. Jesus ruling and reigning, the resurrected lamb of God. And he's there both as the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world, making peace between us and God, and he's there as the shepherd of God's people. You get this beautiful picture, you see it down there in verse 17, of the shepherd wiping the tears from the eyes of his people. Isn't that such a beautiful picture? The shepherd wiping the tears from the eyes of his people and peacefully leading them to goodness and life. And just like with our joy and our safety, our peace is connected to where we've placed our hope. So when anxiety creeps up over the next few days and weeks, which it will, when you feel the peace of knowing that you are right with God, when you feel the peace of knowing that you've got nothing to prove, when you feel the peace of knowing that you are His, when you feel those things crumbling and slipping away, Run into the presence of God and ground your hope in Jesus. There is true joy in the presence of God. True safety in the presence of God and true peace in the presence of God. Friends, there is no better way for us to end our year together than to look towards Jesus and for us to put our hope firmly in him. Eternal joy, eternal safety, eternal peace are ours because of him. But we get to enjoy so much of that now because his spirit dwells with us and dwells in us. So put your hope in Jesus. And that is a hope that isn't dependent on how good you've been or how well together your life is. It is a hope that is firmly grounded in the cross family grounded in Jesus blood which was shed for his people and that is a work that has secured our future home with god but it's also a work that brings us so much joy safety and peace right now and all we need to do is to approach the presence of god with faith let's pray Father, even faith feels like a stretch for some of us this afternoon. So we ask that you'd bring it where it's needed. Give faith to those who need it. Strengthen those whose faith feels weak. Give faith to those who maybe need to receive it for the first time. Help us to believe and to know that you are a God who judges sin, but you are also a God of mercy and grace. A God who is ready to welcome in sinners who have put their faith in your son. And so, Jesus, we thank you for making a way. We thank you that through the light of your perfect life and the darkness of your death on the cross, you have made a way for our lives to be cleansed from all sin. So that now we can be welcome in the presence of our holy God. And Holy Spirit, thank you that as you dwell in us, we are able to enjoy so much of the hospitality of God right now. So much of his welcoming presence right now. We are able to enjoy his joy, his safety, his peace. And so fill us now and through these next few days and next few weeks, continue to draw us into the presence of the Father in prayer, in, in your word, and as we look forward to being back here together, gathered as your people. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for this picture. We thank you that this is the story of your people, secured for us through the shed blood of the Son. And so we look to him, and we say with the angels, and we say with the saints, blessing, the glory, wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever.